Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. If you remind us that today is the anniversary of when Detroit traded a first-round pick for Kyle Quincy, and that first-round pick ended up being Andre Vasilevsky, you're banned. You're done. Jail. Uh, immediately. We don't need to do this every year. We live through this pain every year. There's a hundred different instances of Detroit's draft picks turning into like franchise players or generational talents at their positions for other teams, and we just don't. We need to celebrate different things. I miss when the Red Wings used to win cups because, yeah, winning cups is great, but also we we remembered way less sad stuff like this. I think we're going to jail by our own <laughs> rules right now. And didn't who did that wasn't even Tampa's <laughs> first pick of that round, right? Didn't they take Slater, Slater Koki, 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 staying in? Okay, cuckoo. <laughs> Cuckoo. In in Evan's defense, <laughs> it is a remarkably weird pronunciation of that name. Didn't was was that the Yakupov draft? Because if it is, that just makes it even wilder. If it if that's I feel true. like it was before the Yakupov draft. No, that was the Yak. Was that's it the Yakupov crazy? Draft? Yeah. yeah, the 2012 NHL entry draft. That draft Yakupov. sucked so bad. Tampa Bay took Slater Cuckoo tenth overall. Eleventh was Philip Forsberg. So that's got a burn. Ouch. Yeah. And hey, Cody Cece, fifteenth to Ottawa, but yeah, Andre Vasilevsky, nineteenth overall. That one's tough, man. Hey, few picks later, Ole Mata. Hey, that so who out really well for won us. that? Yeah, who really <laughs> won that draft when it was all said and done? Oh my God, Tomas Hurdle was drafted in twenty twelve. It's already been twelve years since he was drafted. Yeah, well, this we conversation's gotten worse than talking we about the old. Kyle Quincy trade. Yeah, my goodness, what a what a hot start. Yeah. And all of our voices are just beat up right now. This is, we're really setting the tone here. You wouldn't know that this is a really positive episode based on what's happened with the Red Wings. I mean, it will get positive eventually. Yeah. Why don't we get to that part? Just well, like the rebuild. That's right. Why? <laughs> Let's get to the Winged Wheel podcast. Welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, we're going to be talking to you first about a big signing as uh, the Red Wings extend Big Rass to a four-year contract. We're going to be taking a look at the value of that contract, how Steve Eisenman did, the implications of what having Rasmussen on the team for the next four years beyond the season means and how it compares to what other players can expect. Uh, we'll be giving you a recap of Detroit's game against Seattle where they pulled out the win in overtime with a likely hero in Ben Sherratt firing it home from the slot. Uh, we'll be taking a look at uh, conversations surrounding Detroit, their scoring depth, uh, whether the city can host an all-star game in the future. That's been a discussion that's been going around. The usual, as we approach the trade deadline update, where Detroit's in on, players to consider what they're looking for and what Eisenman, Draper, and co. are, are shopping for. And then some NHL news. I'm sure we all saw the Quentin Byfield goal and everything else that's been going on. And then we'll jump into overtime. Before all that, I want to let you know that Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is on Saturday, March 2nd against the Florida Panthers. This is your warning that tickets are very, very, very sparse. Very few remain. 
uh, to be able to get into the event and get the special co-branded hat. What Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is, is a partnered event between us and the Detroit Red Wings, where we host a live episode at the LCA before the Red Wings game versus the Panthers. Again, the game was moved to 3 p.m., which means the doors open to the event at 12 p.m. The recording will start at 12.30. The live show will feature special guest Ken Daniels, lead announcer of the Detroit Red Wings, as well as other special guests. Uh, there's going to be a meet and greet, food and drinks available to to purchase, uh, Q&A section of the podcast. And as I mentioned before, the first 400 ticket buyers get a Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel podcast co-branded cap, similar to the one I'm wearing now, but a different colorway. It's limited edition. We can't sell it anywhere else is the only way to get it. So again, your ticket gets you access to the game, the live show, the cap, and there's a built-in donation to the Jamie Daniels Foundation right in the ticket. And there's also a discount built into the ticket as well. So all of that, go to wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings or the link in the description. Uh, There are, I think, like a dozen or so tickets remaining. So if you want yours, get them today. All right, let's jump into our conversation about Michael Rasmussen. It came out... Yesterday morning that the Red Wings signed Michael Rasmussen to a four-year extension. It is four years at $3.2 million per season. It's a $12.8 million contract total. It buys two RFA years, so two restricted free agent years and two unrestricted free agent years of Michael Rasmussen. He'll have just turned 29 when the contract expires. So Detroit gets him for the rest of his 20s, the rest of his really high-performing years, at a number that's $3.2 million. What are your initial thoughts on the contract? Well, you look at it from a few different angles. Term, obviously, being the most important, and it's perfect. Michael Rasmussen is a bottom six forward who can moonlight in the top six competently when the situation dictates it. He's never going to be a big scorer. He's never going to be a big power play guy. He's a defense-first, versatile winger who puts up elite results on the penalty kill and gives you enough offense to keep the other team honest when he's on the ice. So even if he's in a shutdown role, they can't just deploy their five best offensive players and not expect some pushback in their ozone. Mm -hmm. And you're getting that for the entirety of his prime. It's It's a perfect length. For what he provides on the ice, I think it's a fair cap hit. 3.2. I think that's about in line with what he deserves for what he is right now. I'm in the camp of, I I think this is what he is. I don't expect much more growth for Michael Rasmussen at this point in his career. Sure, there's going to be some refining around the edges as he ages, as happens with every hockey player. But I think the role he's in now, the production you're getting is more or less what he is. Okay. And I think that's fair value for the AAV. So any growth to his game at all is just a bonus above it. But the big thing with this is this kicks in next year with the first bump in the salary cap. So 3.2 at this moment in time feels very fair. Years three and four of this deal, the percentage of the cap will be obviously less and the Red Wings will still be able to work around it very comfortably. Yeah, the the cap just next season alone, the NHL is projecting to go from 83.5 to 87.7 87.7 is what I think the numbers are. So, so there's his entire cap hit and change. That's And that's just in one year. Like it's going to keep rising now, barring another, you know, worldwide catastrophe. But I don't want to be the one to jinx that. So I guess I'll knock on wood. But yeah, overall, Brad, I, my initial thought was love the term, love how long they're capturing him for. 
And the AAV seems fair. And I don't mean like fair, like eh, I can stomach it. I mean fair, like no, I, I think he got himself a nice raise and it's in line with what he's providing and that's still good value for Detroit. I, I want to give credit to uh, Sam Stockton who wrote a piece for the Hockey News and he got some quotes that he put in there from Derek Lalonde, which really, like, this is where my mind was going and the, it's where my mind goes when I think about Michael Rasmussen as a player a lot. Lalonde said uh, when he was in Tampa, we had the luxury in Tampa of having three or four of the best players in the world, Vasilevsky, Kucherov, Stamkos, Hedman, Point, etc. But we never got over the hump until those secondary type players arrived, talking about the guys within the mold of Michael Rasmussen. And if you think about when those teams went on cup runs, so often the story was those secondary and support guys who people laughed at when Tampa Bay acquired, and they actually made a difference. You know, the playoffs, you need 16 wins. That's not a big enough sample size to just oh, the best team on paper wins. No, it, it, you need guys who win in moments and sometimes a player's entire value comes from winning one key playoff game. Michael Rasmussen is that kind of character guy. He's a role player in, in how Brad said it and I think he's re- grown to be a really good role player in that respect, but he's the kind of character guy who changes the team's dynamic. We've seen that with the Red Wings. We saw the impact of, of how much he made this team better when he grew into his physical role that bottom six role, that penalty killing, you know, using his size to dominate on the ice. And we saw the impact when he went out at the end of the last season, how much different this team was. Like this team is better when Michael Rasmussen is on. And if you have that homegrown, you're paying him a reasonable rate. You have him for all of his best years and you're developing him in the system. That is way better than the Red Wings going out and acquiring that for someone who is, you know, 31, 32 years old or over for way more money. Like this is just the absolutely the better way to do it yeah i don't know how you can really be upset with either the term or the dollars like you guys said it's it doesn't really cost anything right now and when the cap goes up it'll be even less like we talk about it all the time with the big ticket guys like oh yeah we might be an overpay now but when the cap goes up in a couple years it will be easier to stomach this really does feel like a great contract for both team and player rasmussen obviously gets a bit of a raise as well and if the Red Wings make the playoffs this year, it'll be very interesting to see what sort of playoff performance we get from a guy like Michael Rasmussen because, like you said, those guys are critical to the success of true contenders. So it'll be very important to see how that plays out if it does. I think, yeah, like you said, he's a super important part of this team and the cop fisher rasmussen line has been one of the best shutdown lines in the entire NHL this year, and that's not nothing. So I think it's well-earned. Yeah, and even uh, Brad mentioned this before, even when they broke up that line recently and Rasmussen had to jump up to the first line, for example, he's not the kind of player you want on your first line all the time, but the fact that he can moonline up there when he needs to is, that's critical. Somebody's got to be the the lunch pail guy, the guy getting dirty in the trenches, and he does really well with that. at that. We, we've always said, like, is in small space around the net, like, he's efficient. I mean, he's not ultra-productive, but... He can get the job done and you can deploy him on the penalty kill. You can deploy him at the end of the games. You can move him up in the up and down the lineup with varying levels of production. You need those kinds of guys. Yeah, there's a big focus on points from people who are just only offensive, offensively minded. I'm looking at you, Brad. But there is, like, in all seriousness, there's a big focus on points when it comes to contract value and there's not a lot of attention paid to a guy's utility on the team. 
Like think of all the things that Brad Nevin just named that Michael Rasmussen does. Like you need a guy to kill penalties extremely well. You need a guy to jump up and down the lineup the way you need. You need a guy to be a physical presence. You need a guy to uh, even be able to produce from the bottom six while doing all of those other things. So when you add it up on whatever, you know, graphics or player card or whatever you're looking at at the time, it might not always represent the same way in terms of the point production, but Michael Rasmussen has really crafted himself into a player who fits into so many different molds, truly is maybe not the, the best way to, to label it, but he feels like a jack of all trades. Like he does a lot of different things. And this is all coming from a guy who had to really almost completely reshape his game in terms of what he was expecting to be as a player when he came to the NHL based on where he was drafted. Yeah, let's not remind everybody of where he was drafted so we continue this as a positive conversation. No, but that is a positive thing. No, it, it's it's a positive the way he rebounded. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, there was a point years after his draft where it was just straight up bust. Because the, the, I don't think the team was using him in the right way and I don't think he was playing a, a kind of game that translated, like he used to play that developing and it just didn't translate to he the got NHL. St- he got stuck in that no man's land between the CHL and the NHL, which yeah. honestly, you know, in retrospect, I think really did damage his overall potential ceiling as a player. So to see where he's come based on, Maybe it was it two years ago, maybe three years ago. We we're talking about how Michael Rasmussen is on the outside looking in on this team, and now he seems very much to be a staple and a very critical piece to the future success of the Red Wings. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Obviously, people can say whatever they want about where he was picked in the draft and all that, and look at guys who went after him and whatnot. But think about the number of guys who go in the top 10 and just never redefine their game and they never ever make it in the NHL. The fact that Michael Rasmussen's accepted that he, you know, isn't going to be an elite scorer at the NHL level, but can be successful and carve out a long NHL career in other ways, I think is very commendable. The, yeah, that's exactly it, Evan. I think that's exactly right because so many guys just, they don't do anything. How many times have we talked recently? We've named all of the Red Wings prospects that are hopefully going to graduate soon. And we said, not all those guys are going to make it. Probably more than one of them are going to completely fizzle out and never be NHL regulars, let let alone like live up to their draft stock. That's just the way it works. So the fact that you're able to kind of veer off that course and, and like Evan said, accept that it wasn't going to be the talent level of a ninth overall pick. You cut your losses when you're evaluating the the player and you have to just accept that this is a way better outcome than what the alternative was because the only realistic alternative is that that no man's land that he lived in with his development completely torched him and that he never became an NHL regular. And now he's well on his way to being a longtime, if not lifelong Red Wing fan favorite. People love Rasmussen and for good reason. Yeah, the jack of all trades, Swiss Army knife, whatever you yeah. want to call it. He's that guy for this team. And, you know, the Red Wings have had lots of these types of players in the past who got too much term, too much money. Look at you know Darren Helm's last contract, Justin Ablocator's last contract. Oh, there come the there comes the swarm to get Brad. No, but yeah. In yeah. reality, Rasmussen does what those guys did, not counting the years Ablocator played with Datsuk and Zetterberg, but th- there's always outliers. But you get production with him on top of that. Because the running joke with Darren Helm was forever. Can skate like the wind, elite defensively, elite PK, or one of the best in the league. Never going to score, never going to put up points, even if you give him a thousand breakaways a game. That's not Rasmussen. He keeps the other team 
on their heels, even when he's deployed in defensive role. We were talking in our group chat and a comment was made like most GMs in the league, if not all, would love to have a Rasmussen type guaranteed. Like they would happily take that player with that contract, no questions asked. And if you if you gave a team an option to say, hey, if you draft someone with a first round pick and he's going to guarantee turn into what Michael Rasmussen is now, you'd have to, there would be, a, I think, a good number of picks in the first round where teams would be happy to spend the 23rd, the 20th overall pick, whatever it is, to get Michael Rasmussen guaranteed. Like that is, it's a quality player and it's a value player. So overall, like what a path for Rasmussen. Up and down and it looked like not good for a while. (laughs) It looked desperate at points, but Michael Rasmussen has made himself like a regular everyday pro and credit to him. Absolutely. And it's good for Red Wings fans too. How does this project onto other Red Wings who uh, are in need of a contract? Like uh, Joe Valeno got brought up a lot and you know, how does this kind of inform on any of that thinking if you're Steve Eisenman or if you're us? So yeah, Valeno's a year younger than Rasmussen, and they play a similar role to this point in their career. Rasmussen's just doing it better. But if Valeno has a good agent, he's going to use this as a comparable contract. Yeah, identical output almost this year so far as well. And I think both of those players have done a really good job of, you know, overall taking advantage of their opportunities. It's not been a straight path upwards, and at points it's looked like you don't know if they're going to stick, but it's going to be used as somewhat of a benchmark. I think Prashanth actually called this not too long ago. He said between 2.8 and 3.4 is going to be the contract. So as usual, he hit the nail on the head there. So it's a it's a good baseline. And as the cap goes up, it's only going to get better. Having someone like that locked in for cheap is, it's never bad. So the Red Wings, right after we recorded last episode, we recorded on Sunday and they went into Seattle for the end of the road trip on Monday. And it wasn't a pretty game but we said leading into the game that if they're able to walk away with a win there and split the road trip you know get half the points where the first half came against the Edmonton Oilers and the Vancouver Canucks both on the road that'd be a very very successful road trip and you know (laughs) broken record here this is a recording they don't ask how they ask how many and it wasn't a perfect process game but they got two points on the board and that's what matters just win baby yeah. And it uh, did not look like it was going to happen for a good chunk of that game. <laughs> it didn't feel like it was trending that way. Like when it sounds silly to say, but when the Red Wings were firing, you're like, okay, they're, they're showing up. But any time Seattle scored, it's like, it shouldn't have been that easy. Why did McCann have so many opportunities at the net? Like what's, it just didn't feel like a, the kind of game where Detroit would get that lucky break, but they hung on. It felt like the fourth game of a four game Western road trip. Yes, very much so. Like, you can understand why the boys were a bit tired after that one. Anyhow, the Red Wings opened up scoring with a Mo Sider goal from the point from Patrick Kane and Alex Dabrinkit. Uh, Mo Sider was actually down in the tunnel just before that, and you thought, is he okay? But he got back to the bench, got back on the ice, fired one home, and that was Kane's 800th career NHL assist, and uh, I think that made it a five-game point streak for him with the Red Wings. Once again... Being one of the few examples to actually defeat Father Time temporarily. 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 Not jinxing it. We need him, you know, throughout the the playoff push here. Uh, Jared McCann tied the game on the power play. And my immediate thought was, wow, Seattle got this guy for free, huh? There's nobody stopping that. No. Sick shot. Not even Andre Vasilevsky was stopping that. 
Evan, you're killing me, man. You know what you're doing. With well, that. Kyle Quincy would have no, boxed okay, them okay, out. Okay, and, okay, okay. Yeah. In the second period, Lucas Raymond stayed hot. This guy is just, people are starting to take notice, but he really is on fire. Picked up a loose puck in front, scored his 16th goal of the year. Again, Jared McCann tied the game for Seattle. And that was a play for me where it was a little bit frustrating to watch. He got on the inside of, I think it was Olimata, got a couple shots in online, good, like picked up the rebound and put it in. And it was just like, I understand it was a great play by him, but that was, you need to handle the front of the crease better than that as Detroit's defense. It was not a good display there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Detroit's defense is bad. I need you to refresh my memory on something because something, a memory just jogged in my head and it's going to make this these two goals even funnier for me. Remember when Jared McCann was on Pittsburgh going into the expansion draft and Toronto traded for him. Yes. Specifically to expose him because they were worried they were going to lose. And this is where I need help. I want to say it was Alex Kerfoot. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. They traded and got 40 goal scorer Jared McCann. Yeah. To keep Alex Kerfoot. And I was a big Alex Kerfoot guy for a long time. I, I really liked the player. But I remember even in the moment, a lot of people were like, bah. and they didn't even have to give up that much for McCann either. That could have been one of the best trades in Leafs history. That though, those are the trades that you look at and you're like, this is why anyone who claims that Dubas was perfect in Toronto. And I, I like Dubas in Toronto in terms of his overall performance. I don't think he was great, but I don't think he was terrible. And that's one of the ones where you're like, yeah, not the best move there. That Seattle credit to them. They took a lot of flack from myself included with how they built that team through the expansion draft, but they did when they found those efficient finds, man, did it really work out for them? Uh, Daniel Sprong scored against his former team. It was a two on one. Christian Fisher made a nice feed over to Sprong who made no uh, mistake to put Detroit up. And then Jaden Schwartz tied the game in the third period and for a second, it looked like Detroit might even not make it to overtime, not just really based on the flow of play. They did get outshot 41-32, but because Olimata took a, just a sequence of events that wasn't great for him, just not his best game overall. It ended with him, you know, uh, putting the puck in the wrong spot and then taking a dumb cross-checking penalty. And Detroit's on the penalty kill, ending the third and going into overtime. And once they got that point, not that you're playing for the point, but I felt relieved. I'm like, I'm happy they escaped with the point here. They went into overtime, four on three for Seattle. They didn't score, goes to four on four. And then who scores but Ben Sherratt from the slot. Larkin did a great job finding him uh, as the trailer and Sherratt fired at home and Detroit escaped with two points. If you had mentioned before the game, Sherratt was going to factor in on an overtime goal. Would you have guessed penalty or blown coverage? I would have guessed assist. No, screw you, Brad. I'm optimistic. <laughs> I would have guessed assist because Sherratt's having a much better season. No, here's the thing. I like Ben Sherratt, and he's. we've talked at length about how much better of a season he's having. I don't remember them utilizing him in overtime that much. He found the soft spot up front, too. <laughs> it's he's a, he's a different, he's a changed player this year. Hey, he's always been aggressive, and in theory, overtime is a time that should shine. Uh, it, overtime is where everyone plays like Ben Sherratt did all year last year. That's he's essentially a, what overtime is. He's an is. overtime specialist. That's what, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're bringing back the meme. <laughs> Anyhow, so that was uh, Detroit's second straight win. Chirac got the OT winner. Uh, Kane has his five-game point streak. It's I actually credit to Alex Lyon. Not a perfect game from him, but at points especially, he really did keep Detroit in it. Made some huge, huge saves. 
And they they won the game how you could have expected them to win that game, like Brad said earlier, at the end of a four-game road trip. So that's exciting in and of itself. And second straight road win where Detroit had an octopus on the ice. Hell yeah. I love I love that this is coming back more commonly on the road. It's not like it went away. You did occasionally see a road octopus, but when Detroit has an overtime win or a win on the road and it's in the other team's barn, it's great when... I like when the rest of the league is getting annoyed at Detroit because it means Detroit's doing something You stole the answer to my question, and I have not been on, you know, social media to really evaluate what the general consensus is from non-Red Wings fans on the octopus throw. It's a lot of annoyance. It's a lot of that's the only relevant thing they've done. It's a lot of they've been doing this forever. Who cares? And that's how you know it's like... It's getting to them. Well, Seattle fans were just upset specifically because an octopus touched that ice before a Kraken. The cephalopod bowl was won by the Red Wings. I'm sorry. In the, in the battle of octopus or octopi related imagery, the Red Wings won. Their uh-huh. tradition persists. I understand it's probably a little heavier and a little <laughs> tougher to get in the rink, but it, but Detroit's all the way across the country and we made it work. There's no reason a Seattle fan couldn't have made it work. Credit to uh, listener of the show Warren Rude, who actually threw the octopus and sent us the video uh, after. That was a that was a hell of a toss. <laughs> he hit. He got to the center of the ice, like widthwise. When I saw the video, I was genuinely surprised when it didn't hit one of the Red Wings skating by because it didn't look like it had that much carry on no, it. He had the juice. The Chicago Bears are about to call the guy. <laughs> like we need to do quarterback. But that was uh, that was awesome to see in Detroit. Really, I think, did a really good job to walk away from a tough road schedule with a very acceptable amount of points. Four points out of a possible eight when two of your opponents were the Oilers and the Canucks. That's They are carrying a lot of momentum coming back home now. And good timing because they're walking into Colorado now, which, if we're being honest, uh, expectations are low for this game. Yeah, walking into Colorado the game, they're, Colorado's... In Detroit. Detroit's hosting the next two games at home, Colorado and St. Louis. Yeah, but then the Colorado game is followed by four what I would call winnable games. Games, I think the fair statement would be individually. Obviously, four-game winning streaks are rare. It's hockey. Strange things happen. But if you look at each of those four games individually, the Red Wings would be the favorite. St. Louis, Chicago, Washington, and the Islanders. Washington and the Islanders, Evans brought this up on previous podcasts. Those are big. You want to maintain a gap to anyone who's chasing you in the wild card. It's not like those are the only teams, but you need to be winning those. You can't lose ground to those teams. Well, Washington just did us a favor yesterday beating New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So we we can't repay that favor. We got to, you know, no friends in this one. Speaking of no friends, how great would it be to make Patrick Wass out again? It's one of my favorite Detroit pastimes. And we got a real bit. That could be like the timing of that game versus where the Islanders are in the standings. That could be a crucial, like turns them into sellers at the deadline game. That'd be fantastic. You know, what's funny is when Patrick Waugh came back into the league again as head coach of the Islanders, my Red Wings fandom really kicked in. And I was immediately like, God, this guy's so annoying. Like his ego is so annoying. And I just love when he loses. Well, I respect him. Like, I think he's one of the greatest goaltenders of all time. I'd probably put him at number two, but the Red Wing in me is like, yeah, we love to beat Patrick Waugh. Especially since the Islanders didn't get the new coach bump. Just yep. makes it that much more satisfying. Yeah, it's been a pretty 
middle of the road start, which I don't know if that's the most Islanders thing of all time. That's right. Yeah, I don't know that that's Patrick Waugh's fault necessarily. It absolutely isn't, but I I like to think it is because that makes me happier. All right, let's take a look at the standings for the Red Wings. Uh, last time we spoke, the Red Wings were in the second wild card spot, right behind Tampa Bay, and as of the time of recording. Uh, we're recording as the Wednesday night games are just about to start. They are still in that second wild card spot, but they have two games in hand on the Tampa Bay Lightning, who have only one more point than them, 65 to Detroit 64. Although don't look now, both New Jersey and the Islanders are four points back of Detroit, same amount of games played, and the Capitals could be in the same position as could the Penguins. So the pack behind, there's some space, but there's not a lot of space. Like Things could turn in just a week or two in one direction or another here. Devils and the Islanders, yeah. Washington, I still feel like, is a real big uphill climb. And are we at the point where we can just say that the Penguins are done? They're, I know they have games in hand, but it's only two games and they're eight points back. It's looking bleak, man. And they're just not winning games. I was listening to a, another podcast today. They were talking about it. And they had a, fa- <laughs> a hilarious thought experiment. Go back to September. You tell a Penguins fan... Sidney Crosby is having a career year, like relative to his age, one of the greatest 36-year-old seasons in the history of hockey. Their goaltending, Jari and Nedeljkovic, have been good. Jari leads the NHL in shutouts. Eric Carlson's producing, Chris Letang's producing. How do you think the season's going? Oh, are we challenging for the division? No, you're eight points out of a playoff spot. (laughs) There's deeper problems with the Pittsburgh Penguins (laughs) than... uh... And some of their leaders on their team. They yeah. how do you lose? How is your power play that as bad as it is? And you give up a short-handed game winner on Yammer Yager night. How that's, do, that's that's rough. Talk about jail. That's jail. Yeah, tough you, scene. You're going to jail. <laughs> I thought Yager was going to play for them. You can't tell me Yager's not better than at least three of their bottom six forwards at this point. That team is ripe for a coaching change. That's like. Not, I also think like a Ross, they, they, they've hung on too long and you had to try because Crosby and Malkin, whatever, but they need a coaching change. And I think Dubas knows they need a reset, but anyhow, that's what's behind Detroit. So still in a good position here. I want to have a quick conversation about Detroit's depth. Here are Detroit's players who have 10 or more goals this season. Dylan Larkin, Alex DeBrinkett, Lucas Raymond, Daniel Sprung, JT Comfort, Robbie Fabry, David Perron, Jake Wallman, Michael Rasmussen, Andrew Kopp, Joe Valeno. Honorable mention to Patrick Kane, who's played 24 games and has nine goals. That'll do. That is a remarkable amount of depth. They have 11 players right now, 10 or more goals. Soon it's going to be 12. Goss, Despair, and Sider have seven goals. They both have a shot at getting 10 as well. That is, you know, it's not a surprise to say, yeah, a lot of players in the Red Wings have scored a bunch because the Red Wings are one of the highest scoring teams in the league this year especially relative to what they've done in previous years. But that is exactly the kind of scoring depth that we said the Red Wings would need to have coming into this season. And it's kind of blown away even my expectations of what was possible. This was the entirety of our offseason argument. They don't have the superstars up front. They don't have the depth on D. We didn't know what the goaltending was going to be, but we knew they were going to be able to roll out four competent lines. And the only way they were going to win consistently this year was to out depth teams i think was the term we used yeah and here it is if you had told us what is it 11 as of this moment 
players with 10 plus goals. Yeah. Yeah, we'd say they're probably hanging on to a wild card spot or they're at least right in the thick of the race. This was exactly how the script had to go for this to happen. The forwards who don't have 10 goals are not surprising. Christian Fisher, Clint Costin, uh, who else here on this list, if I can read fast enough. And Patrick Kane. Yeah. So that's pretty remarkable. There's... There's a lot of conversation about what's sustainable in terms of the scoring and, and scoring rate and things like that, but it's a good sign when it's not just a few guys carrying, you know, your scoring because then you're susceptible to injury changing things, a cold streak changing things. If you told me that the Red Wings were one of the highest scoring teams in the season across the league and Alex DeBrinkett wasn't exactly leading the charge, like he has the second highest goal total on Detroit with 19, that's 19 goals across 55 games. He's hardly winning awards for that. That is a, he's getting acclimated to Detroit. He's not blowing the roof off the place kind of goal scoring. That is an acceptable amount of goal scoring for Alex to bring it. Any less, and I'd be kind of a little disappointed, I'd say. But no, that that's within range. But he's not carrying it. And if you told me that, you know, at the start of the season, I'd be shocked. Like that is a really great dispersion for Detroit. I think one of the craziest things to me is Daniel Sprong has 15 goals in 55 games while averaging 12 minutes and 42 seconds of ice time. That has been his whole career. That is the Daniel Sprong special. He's the most efficient goal scorer the Red Wings have had in a long time. For the next 20 years, any player that does that, they are the Daniel Sprong of their era. Like, this is his thing. You know, I, I'm starting to think that this is just the way to get the most out of Daniel Sprong. Maybe not, but like it, like it doesn't feel like, you know, the Red Wings are doing a massive disservice by not playing him more. I think he could play a few more minutes, but that's neither here nor there. To be fair to Robbie Fabry, he plays like 40 seconds more on average and has two less goals. So that's also, you know, not bad. I, I think, you know, you'd probably want more from Robbie Fabry, but he's only played 41 games. So it's not, not too, too bad. As I say, 14 less games. And he's still doing it. I just think, like, I, I just think that some team in the offseason is going to want to overpay Daniel Sprong as a hired gun within their, like, bottom six. Like, if you're a team that wants to compete and go deep, you would love to have Daniel Sprong in your bottom six. Oh, some team's probably going to pay him to be in their top six. How many GMs are annoyed because they didn't listen to their pro scouts to sign Daniel Sprong this offseason? Assuming that their pro scouting department is actually competent. competent? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like three, I don't think there's many strong pro scouting departments in the <laughs> NHL. There's a well, no, there are. Unfortunately, there are some, and they're the some. ones who tend to do well. Anyhow, uh, another Red Wings point I wanted to talk about, and this is just a positive vibes episode. Lucas Raymond, man, he is continuing his tear where people are slowly starting to take re- uh, note, but he is really factoring in on so much of Detroit's offense. Looks so much more confident out there. I'm not calling this like a breakout season where he becomes a superstar, but in, in terms of realistic expectations for a player's development, this feels like a breakout kind of year for Lucas Raymond. A 21-year-old forward on pace for over 70 points in his third season on a team that's contending for the playoffs. That feels like a breakout season to me. At the start of the year, a point I maintained time and time and time again, whether we're talking this podcast or I was talking to other people, I said Detroit's success is going to largely hinge on what Lucas Raymond does. And 
he's not the only factor in Detroit's success. I, I, I don't think you can have this conversation without pointing to Alex Lyon and what Dylan Larkin's doing, et cetera. But Detroit doesn't perform this well if they don't have Lucas Raymond factoring in offensively and not disappearing, for example. So, Well, what's been one of the few consistents for a majority of the season in the lineup? Larkin and Raymond on the top line, and they screw around with their wingers. They briefly tinkered with Raymond on the second line, but for the most part, Larkin, Raymond anchor that top line, and then they work everything else from there. You know, actually, as I was working out his projected points here, if you do the rounding properly, you know how many points he's on pace for? Tell me it's 69. It's 69. Nice. nice. Anyhow, I just wanted to have some good vibes there. That's what Detroit's scoring and Lucas Raymond's season looks like so far. Uh, upcoming, they have, as we mentioned, a game against Colorado on Thursday night, 7 p.m. Eastern. And then on Saturday, 12 p.m. Eastern, matinee. And then on Sunday, they're on the road against Chicago. It's where Chris Chelios' uh, jersey's being retired that night. They're actually doing it in the sauna. <laughs> it's appropriate. I'm sure they'll have some Chelios chili there as well. And then we'll be recording right after that game ends. Episode's coming to you late Sunday night. Within the trade market, uh, as chatter goes on, Detroit, there's nothing really surprising here, but more and more updates have just confirmed what we've talked about on this podcast and, and what we already know to be true. Detroit's in on defense, the ones who are out there. It, it, being in on defense at the trade deadline is like saying you're shopping in the sale aisle or the snack aisle at the grocery store. Like everyone does it. If you find something. I would you never. Like, you would never. Oh, no, not no. you. Yeah. You're, uh, your body's a temple. I'm a vegetable only guy. <laughs> you brought, you very kindly brought me a, a vacuum sealed hunk of Parmesan today. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. I will not let you turn this into an, ins- you insulting me. That's a, a great point. You know what? I'm not going to turn down the cheese. Thank you for that. More people are noting the Chikrin Vitrano thing. Not a lot of new noise there. Uh, I guess the only thing that's really changed in the trade market is the Pittsburgh situation. It looks like they're a little bit more open for sale now. Anyone who's not one of their, you know, core four guys who are the, the definition of Pittsburgh Penguins are available. And a lot of people are going to be taking a look as to what's, what you could peel off of them. The Gensel situation is interesting. I don't really know that Detroit is, that makes a lot of sense for them. Is there anyone on Pittsburgh who is of interest and a guy who has brought up a couple different places and someone who I was wrong about in the past is Marcus Pedersen. And so I'm wondering about him. Any upgrade on defense would be very welcome, albeit confusing, given the logjam they already have. And that would present an interesting problem going into next season because, as you said before, he's got one year left on his contract after this. A shade over $4 million. Yeah. Upgrade for sure. Some work would have to be done around the edges in the offseason to keep that going. I don't think the Red Wings should necessarily be out on Gensel. He does solve a lot of needs for them, but the big sticking point here for me would be the extension for Jake Gensel if you're negotiating a sign-and-trade, because again, Detroit should not have any interest in a rental this season, and I'll repeat that until people stop asking me about it, Mm -hmm. but I'm not giving Jake Gensel eight years, and if I'm Jake Gensel, I'm not taking anything less, like I'm taking max term. If for whatever reason he is cool with a four, five, six-year deal, Detroit should be all over it. But we'll put that in the should be interested, should pick up the phone, but highly unlikely category. He'll be 30 at the start of next season. Exactly. It would would fit the bill. And 
It, what does Detroit need is a funny question because you, you think a team that's in a potential playoff position right now is a decently well-rounded team, but there's not a single position where Detroit can't improve. Like If you can add a top six forward, you add a top six forward without a doubt. If you can add a top four defenseman, you add one of those without a doubt. If you can add a goaltender who can start some games, you know, I know Reimer's coming off a shutout, but by and large, they have one goalie they've been able to rely on all year, and that's been Alex Lyon. You still do that. So, you know, what's Detroit going to go for this trade deadline? Whatever's available, and that makes sense. And that could be a lot of things, and it could be nothing. And, you know, someone might come in with a barn burner of a, an offer for one of Detroit's players that they didn't think they were going to move. Like, what if someone comes and offers the world for Sprong or Gosses Bear or something like that? It doesn't make sense for the playoff race, but if you really convince Steve Eisenman, it's a, the possibilities are all there. Well, if only they had a big, talented six foot five defenseman waiting to fill that spot. That would make trading Gosses Bear a lot easier. Well, this is just showcasing of Ben Sherratt right now, right? <laughs> no, we're keeping Ben Sherratt, man. The vibes are high. The vibes are high on Ben Sherratt. All right, uh, let's get into some other Red Wings related news. Uh, Elliot Friedman reported the New York Islanders are going to host the 2026 NHL All Star Game at uh, UBS Arena, and it's going to be like a send off to the Olympics. Kind of, it's it's going to be a different year, which is funny because in 2025 they're not going to do it because they have the Four Nations tournament. Anyhow, uh, Friedman was talking about locations that were discussed for potential future All-Star games, and Detroit's name came up there. And it was noted that the debate is, you know, whether you do that now or you wait until more of the development around the LCA is done before you do that. And that was, I think Chicklets also put out something saying, like, Detroit should get an All-Star game. Uh, Little Caesars Arena is one of the best arenas, like, sports facilities in the world. And completely right. Like the LCA is gorgeous. Like you know the LCA is good because the Joe was held so many memories for Red Wings fans. And it was such a staple like hockey arena, like the classic barn. And you miss the Joe, but you don't miss the Joe when you walk into the LCA. Like the LCA is just a phenomenal, phenomenal facility. But what I will say is I completely understand like fans' frustrations when they say, you wish they would have already had an all-star game because when you think of the district Detroit and what was anticipated with Little Caesars Arena, it wasn't just the arena, it was everything else that was supposed to be developed around it. And I'm going to qualify this by saying, not experts in land development, building development, the finances behind any of this, what's funded by what, like no idea what we're talking about on that front, not going to pretend to. But you know, you want to see more of that anticipation of the things that were going to go into that amazing downtown core of Detroit to be built up around the arena because it's such a great arena. You want the rest of the league to see this. Like anyone who lives in Detroit around Detroit goes to Detroit regularly knows how long and how far of away the, the downtown core especially has come just a phenomenal place to be one of my favorite places in the world. And it's only getting better. And whenever Detroit gets a bad rep around the league, you're like, it's frustrating because it's very obviously that, that notion is perpetuated by people who haven't been to Detroit and don't know what they're talking about. So any opportunity where you can kind of showcase what Detroit can be, you want the Red Wings and the league to take advantage of that. So whatever, you know, has to happen for the league to start coming to Detroit for, you know, all-star games, drafts, things like that. I don't care about what the players want and where they want a vacation. Like they're going to complain unless they're somewhere warmer in Vegas, period. Toronto has like 
the Hockey Hall of Fame and a lot of things for people who are visiting to do. And the players will still complain about that. They'll complain about New York because it's not warm enough. It's not about the players. It's about the fans and just the league in general showcasing Detroit. So whatever has to happen for Detroit to be able to bring people to Little Caesars Arena and use it and show this world-class facility, I hope it happens because it's, it is it is genuinely state-of-the-art and one of the most beautiful buildings period that I've ever been in. And it just, it's a shame it hasn't been displayed more yet. Well, that's, you know, part of the whole problem now is there's a strong possibility that Detroit doesn't host an all-star game 10 years after this arena has opened its doors. And, you know, you've, I don't want to sound so negative, but you've kind of lost the momentum and sort of the... There's no new arena momentum anymore, which a lot of places... Exactly, exactly. The NHL could have very much been like, hey, we've got this brand new arena in Detroit. It's, you know, the Phoenix rising from the ashes, the octopus rising from the ashes, and we're going to have an all-star game here, and we're going to really showcase the turnaround of Detroit and how amazing this new arena is. But but I think it's mostly public knowledge that Gary Bettman has had a very strong opinion on the all-star game in Detroit without the district being built. So I'm not surprised that we are where we are. It, at the end of the day, it's just a real loss for Red Wings fans and, and the people of Detroit. What, what I hear is not many solutions, and I've got one. Expand the scooter program. Oh, my God, it's a scooter spread. <laughs> <laughs> Every, if who's... Catherine had any money, I would know she's lobbying you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's probably the one who hit Rasmus Anderson on his scooter. <laughs> she's doing her part. Yeah, whatever, and also like acknowledging here, like, yeah, the pandemic threw a wrench in a lot of things that's firmly behind us now. And so let's, whatever needs to happen, let's get it done and let's, let's continue to build on, you know, the incredible progress that's been made in Detroit and show to the right. Like, I just hate the petty part of me hates when Detroit is any kind of like butt end of a joke when we know the truth to be different. So whatever needs to happen, let's just make it happen. And I say this and not a penny of it's coming out of I my pocket. I was just about so to say, yeah, yeah. Easy for me I, to say I, behind I the microphone. I see your checkbook getting pulled yeah. out right now. Yeah, so it's it's actually way easier for me to spend other people's money for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's get into some league news. Man, that Byfield goal is the amount of things that happened in like four fractions of a second the dude just ruined his, like he threw the bust label out the window in one play. If you hadn't been paying attention to Quentin Byfield all season, you know for sure now the kind of player he is. But how, as Zach Wierenski, do you walk away from watching that replay knowing that as the dude was falling, dancing around you, kicking the puck up to his stick, and then you let your stick get lifted like that as he then deeks your goalie and scores? Like how, that's a cold shower straight to bed after that. Yeah, those are the types of moments where you just wish you could pull the sh- the trap door and just f- disappear. Defenseman's nightmare. The only thing that really sucks about this goal is it wasn't scored a week earlier because if Yarmo had got fired right after this game, that would have been the funniest meme of all time. Yeah, Quentin Byfield got Yarmo Kekalainen fired. It, it would have been 10 out of 10, no notes, repeat it forever. That, that has to be the leading contender for goal this season, right? Oh, 100%. Again, Nutmegs Wierenski, who... Like, you know, let's call Space Spade, played it as poorly as you possibly could. Start to end, yeah. Yeah. But Byfield pulls it through him, goes down, kicks it to his stick, and as he's on one knee, still gets the backhand up over the pad. What what goal touches that one this year? 
That's it. Clayton Keller's from, uh, not Clayton Keller, uh, Logan Cooley from preseason, maybe. But yeah. that's preseason. Does that count? And it happened in Australia, so even less. Yeah. He did it upside down if it was in Australia, which is remarkable. That yeah, is and notice how he, sp- he spun counterclockwise <laughs> on that goal. <laughs> Anyways, credit to Quentin Byfield. There's uh, a lot of people paying attention to that draft class lately, but like to see that guy do well. I just like when when players work through the development process that's a lot more normal than people give credit for. Like one, two years later, people are saying, oh, he's not showing much. And it's like, just, can you relax a little bit? He's got 42 points in 52 games. And he's only getting better, man. He has 18 goals. LA's got a good future ahead of him with that kid. Anyhow, uh, this is hopefully the last time we're going to talk about it, but the Riley suspension was upheld by Gary Bettman. It was the only recourse that Toronto, the NHLPA, and Morgan Riley had was to appeal to Gary Bettman. And you know what? I'm actually so annoyed with Toronto media and fans for making me say this, but you do have to hand it to Gary Bettman because from the outside in, this is the most clear-cut suspension and upholding of a suspension that you could possibly ask for. Like, you look at the play, you look at the suspension, you look at the comparable to Perron, and the appeal, whatever they tried to justify in the appeal, you're like, no, that's going to be, you know, four to six games. He's going to appeal because of course, and you uphold it because of course. And all of the noise around it had brought it to this point. And one line or a couple lines that Gary Bettman had were hilarious. The cross check was delivered as retribution for an unnecessary and seldom seen play that Mr. Riley believed may have been intended to embarrass Toronto. Although much of the testimony offered by Riley Treliving and Shanahan at the hearing concerned whether Mr. Greg's slap shot was provocative, that discussion is utterly irrelevant. Mr. Riley's actions were not undertaken in self-defense. They were not accidental and they were not reflexive. They were not simply careless or merely reckless with plenty of time to think about what he was going to do next. Mr. Riley approached Mr. Gregg from the side, then used a stick, et cetera, et cetera. It, this sounds like the most court of law. Oh, he's a, it is a legal process, not you know in the, the public courts, but first off, nothing in there is surprising. Like there's no margins on that play. You're not trying to overrule goalie interference or an offside play at all, but how funny is utterly irrelevant. Steve had the perfect, perfect tweet for this, especially coming from a Leaf fan. How, what what does it say there? Utterly wasn't necessary, but I have to admit I laughed. Exactly. Like just to point out how ridiculous the argument was like, the Leafs straight up argued this guy took a slap shot and it hurt our feelings. And Batman's like, no. Was there a part where he said Ridley Gregg's slap shot was provocative? Well, that's what well, that was Toronto's argument. <laughs> like it was against the people. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it's provocative. <laughs> like, oh my God. This whole thing is just Toronto, uh, people from the Toronto bias are, they're just screaming facts about what's happening. Like Batman implied that if he had just, uh, punched him or fought him he wouldn't be in this situation and like th- they're incensed about that i'm like yeah yes that what what's hard to understand about that fighting is allowed in hockey with a five minute penalty if if he had fought him he would have got five minutes instead of five games there yeah but have... what are the Leafs in the last five games now i think they've won every single game that really has been out yeah they're they're completely fine <sighs> i can't i can't wait for Toronto to speed bag Arizona tonight. Riley comes back tomorrow against Vegas. Vegas wins. Never ending stream of was Riley the problem all along jokes. 
That we could only be so lucky if yeah. that happens. Yeah. Anyways, that was the most predictable end to all of that. And I don't know, man. Like I know we dunk on Toronto a lot, but this is exactly what people talk about when they're like Toronto media is is the source behind so much of the rest of the leagues like rooting against Toronto because this whole thing was just cut and dry from start to end. You're like, no, obviously that's going to be a suspension and it turned into this. You're drawing comparisons from like six years ago and you're like, what are we doing here? It's the funniest thing of all time. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, that's the main show. Why don't we jump into overtime here? Uh, overtime on the winged wheel podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to support the show, you get access to our Patreon exclusive discord where people give you insights into how they sneak octopi into arenas and throw them onto the ice. You're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. For example, we're giving away two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season, the vast majority going directly to our Patreon supporters. Additionally, you get access to our bonus overtime episodes, which record right after these main ones. So again, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. Commander Ben Barron of the Cheeseback Space Force says, howdy fellows, hope you're all doing well. I'm very happy that Moose got the extension that he deserved. In your opinion, what years seem to be the peak competing window for this team at this time? In my opinion, it appears to set up cap-wise to be from 2025-2026 to roughly 29-2030. What do you think? And can't wait for WWP Day. Stay fresh. I think 2025 is probably a bit optimistic if we're talking about cup contention. I, I think 27 to 31 is probably the window that you're aiming for. 27 things would have to go pretty well, but it's probably when it start to open. You got... Larkin still close enough to his prime that he'll be contributing, but a lot of the core pieces, Cider, Raymond, Edvinson, et cetera, et cetera, will be right smack dab in the middle of their prime because most guys start to really hit their stride in the NHL around 23, 24, and they can hang on till 28. So you're, you're going to get a lot of the key pieces of the organization in that window now with a lot of the hopefully Caspers, Danielson, Sandine, Pelicas established in the NHL and on their way to their peak. Yeah, I'm going to be very happy when we do the 15th anniversary of the podcast and we're talking about deep playoff runs. The third cup in the uh, podcast history, yeah. I'm just, man, the first time this team makes the playoffs since, you know, the the drought started, I'm going to be over the moon. I don't even, I don't care if they don't score a goal. I'll be happy they just made it. When do the playoffs start this year? Yeah, uh, we, we know when <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> yeah. you'll, you'll be flying home from Georgia. Yeah. So I'll see if, uh, I'll see if any of the local PGA tour members of Detroit can fly me home on their PJ. Well, with any luck, maybe the Red Wings will draw a matchup against Atlanta in the first round and Evan <laughs> will be right there. Look, hey. It's a non-zero chance. If there's some, something happens with Arizona in the way. <laughs> A uh, question here from Eric Asmus says, what do you think is the mindset right now of Hall? After seeing Petrie make that horrible turnover that led directly to a goal in Vancouver, I figured we'd see Hall in the lineup in Calgary, but it didn't happen. What do you think of the chances are that Hall is quietly asking for a change of scenery? I, I don't think the change of scenery is a question. Here's the reality between Hall, Petrie, Mata, the guys who've been cycling out the bottom, like Cider and Wallman. Yeah, that's your top pairing. Sherratt and Gossespierre having good seasons in different ways by their own standards. Like, you can't deny that. The other three, they have all at different points have given Detroit a lot of reason to sit them and not a lot of reason to play them. It's 
with those three, you're cycling which two are going to be least destructive in the lineup on average. Now they have times where they're good or, or not noticeable, but I don't think Hall's been having a great season overall. Not god awful. I think, like we know, the season Petrie's having, I, th- I think Mata's substantially less effective this season than he was last. Like you don't know what small injuries guys are dealing with, which could be impacting these decisions a lot of the time. But yeah, those bottom three, they've not really given a lot of reason to cement any of them in the lineup. Again, Hall's not going to be happy about it. No player is. But he, ha- uh, Ryan, yeah, you phrased it perfectly. He hasn't given them a reason. Yeah. Uh, Randy from Montucky says, hey guys, longtime listener, first time patron. Randy, thank you so much. Welcome to the Dub Dub Club. Says, I'll be traveling to Phoenix for work at the beginning of March, and my time down there coincides with the Wings playing the Yotes. I'm planning on attending, but I've never been to a Wings game, not at the Joe or the LCA, and I'm feeling a bit anxious about the idea of being a visiting supporter in an unfamiliar city. That being said, what would you say is the best case slash worst case slash most likely to happen for supporting the team at an away game? Thanks, and keep up the high-quality content, fellas. Oh, location matters for this answer. In Arizona, at Mullet Arena, this time of the year, Straight up, there are probably going to be more Red Wings fans there than Coyotes fans. So you are going to be fine. It's going to be close to a 50-50 split. Most arenas, if you go into wearing your jersey, you're respectful. You cheer when your team scores. You don't really cause much of a fuss when anything else goes on. 90% of the uh, other fan bases will just leave you alone. You'll get some playful banter. There's always playful banter. I get it all the time when I used to go to Toronto for Wings games all the time. None of it was threatening, but, you know, they make their, they crack their jokes. They talk their shit. You, you know, laugh, toss a barb back and move on with your life. That's how it's mostly going to be. Toss barbs, not yeah. drinks. Yeah. Except Philly. <laughs> like I said, there's exceptions to every rule. I would never wear a Red Wings jersey to Philly. I wouldn't wear any jersey other than a Flyers jersey to Philly. You'd be surprised. Like whenever I hear about like fights, like outside of arena or whoever like got beat up because they're wearing the opposing Jersey, like I'm too old. It's like, if you can't, if you can't handle a little bit of shit talking, just don't go to a hockey game, whether you're the home team or the away team. Like we all got to go to work tomorrow. That's it. Right. Just, you're not on the ice. And even. Yeah. I have no time for that. It's, it's honestly like the golf course. If you're going to go out with your buddies and play terribly and you can't take a little ribbing, then like what are we doing here? Play, play alone. Find a way to play alone. Uh, Jake Nagy says, I was at the Wings game in Seattle dating back to 2016. We'd lost 10 straight games I was in attendance for, so the streak is finally over. What's the longest winning streak or losing streak the Wings have ever gone on for games you attended in person? I've been pretty consistent with it alternating. I don't think I've had a longer than two game losing streak, and I don't think I've had a longer than two game winning streak. Remember the year we did the 10 games? I was t- literally just about to say that. I was like, I think we went a full calendar month of home games e- in attendance and they lost every single one. Evan and I had this year where we were like, we were both just, we had nothing else really going on. We just had work. Yeah. We were both, I don't think either of us with where, are, were with our now wives at the point. So we were like, nope. we grabbed a 10 game ticket package because we know it was nothing for us to fire down to a game pretty often. And we lost, the, the Red Wings lost a lot of those games. Oh Yeah. They pro if there were ten games in that ticket package, I bet you they lost seven. There was like a weekend there where we went to two games in a row, and nothing happened. <laughs> we went like forty minutes at a time, and we're like, we haven't said a word. Yeah, nothing has happened. That was more about the Red Wings at the time. Yeah, that was a rough streak. 
GH says, as part of the new, could Google this, but would rather ask uh, the Winged Wheel podcast series. My question is, how do matchups work if three teams from, let's say, the Atlantic all advance to the second round of the playoffs? So uh, the way it works for the playoffs is you have your divisional seeds, which are the second and third seeds in either division. And then the first seed from either division then plays the two wildcard seeds, the, the higher first seed. So the higher overall seed in the conference plays the worst of the two wildcard spots. And then the second top seed plays the first wildcard spot. And then from there, you're like locked into that division's bracket, for example. So if you're Detroit and you end up playing a Metro team in the first round. Which right now would be the Rangers. Yeah. Say it's Rangers or Carolina, whoever ends up being, and you beat them, then you're playing the winner of the Metro second and third seed matchup. As soon as you play the Rangers or the Hurricanes, you're in that bracket. Yeah. And you just follow that bracket through to the conference finals. Which is, personally, I don't like it when they move to that rigid bracketing system. It doesn't really make sense. Like, if framing it as like, oh, the second round is the winner of the division, I'm like, well, if Detroit or Toronto or Tampa Bay is playing Carolina, then not really, right? But Yeah, because there's a reality where Toronto wins the division because they beat Boston in the first round, Florida in the second round, and then Detroit goes on a miracle run and plays them in the conference final and then beats them. But Toronto's the Atlantic champion. Yeah, it's... But anyways, that's how it works. We all know my opinion. I want to go back to reseeding, but yeah, you're, you're locked into your division, quote unquote, even if it's not your division, if you're a wildcard seed. So that's where things could get mixed up. Orrin Sunquist, uh, good question here, says, how important do you think making the playoffs is to Kane's decision to sign an extension in Detroit? Probably pretty significant. I have to imagine that's a big one, right? Like signing Kane, I didn't think I'd be in a position saying this, but signing Kane is now a much bigger priority than I thought it possibly could be. And I think if Detroit wants to continue to be a force in the East or a rising force in the East, having Kane's talent is such a big boost for that. First and foremost, he's one of the most productive players on the team based on how many games he's played. And he's Patrick Kane. If you want to lure free agents or, you know, sign other players, like having Patrick Kane on your roster helps, helps that cause. All right, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast and jump into our Patreon-exclusive overtime for the rest of these questions. Thank you all so much for tuning in and, again, for putting up with our cold and flu-riddled voices for one more episode. Hopefully, the recovery continues and next episode we sound uh, normal. So the content will still be questionable, as always, but uh, hopefully the voices aren't as grating. Uh, Wanted to say thank you to all of our listeners, new and old, all of our Patreon supporters, especially our name-level sponsors on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Croner's Left Knee, Ashley Van Conant, Sea Lion, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Carl Brutina Nanaluski, Carl Provi, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, God Creatives, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, I snagged a toaster's jersey. Bestow upon me your jealousy, listeners. I'm Ryan, nine-year Hannah, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Jonathan Miller, Kaylin Wood, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K, Cannon Fodder, the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, R.A., Red Feather Desert Dogs, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, Strunk Flug, That's What I Appreciate's About You, Woman's Elite Dancing D, 
Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, A.B., Adam Rose, Antonio Gracias, Axel Sandy Pelica, Bellingham Acid Balls, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, D-Boss Snip Show. Congrats again, D-Boss Snip Show. I, I loved uh, Sean's feature on him, on Shap Shots. Derek James, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, Jogan Rafferty Fan Club, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Les Grossman's Ungodly Firestorm, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, O. Ophelia, Reed, Stephen, The Hodag, The Mexinadian, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, ex formerly A.A. Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so much. Talk to you Sunday night. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.